Good morning. All right. It's good to see your faces. Isn't it great to be in person? So um, I spoke once in January here, and um, I was so excited to preach that I got up and I just started speaking. And afterwards, a very kind lady came up and said, you know, if you ever preach again, you should probably introduce yourself. <laughs> and that was very, and it's truer words were never said probably. So, um, so I thought I'd take just a second. Uh, my name is Dave Shoemaker. Um, we've been attending this church for about five and a half, six years. Um, ever since this was the first church I visited and have never left. Uh, currently my job, I coach volleyball at Northwood University. Um, and before that, I was at a Christian college called Bryan College. And before that, I was at a Christian college called Baptist Bible College, where I coached volleyball and I was a professor of biblical studies in Greek. And um, I usually don't tell people that because then they don't want to hear me because they're afraid of what I might say. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, I try to keep it secret most of the time, but I've been told I need to share that. So, um, so let's take a second before we do that. It's just, um, just in our in our minds and hearts. Let's give a quick silent prayer for Jeremy as he recovers. Jeremy, you're probably listening. Maybe you're sleeping. You're going to watch this later. Whichever the case, we're praying for you. We want you to come back. Uh, We look forward to having you back in a couple of weeks. Um, And then also, I I think you guys noticed if you were here last week that Pastor Jeremy uh, gave us a little hint that there's going to be some announcements coming about the fall. And so um, just be prepared for those in a couple of weeks. Um, So... I'm, you know, he dropped the first crumb. I'm trying to drop a bigger crumb. So hopefully you'll start to get excited about what we're going to announce about the fall. So um, I think that's it for pre-message stuff. So um, I can go ahead and get started. So let's pray before we open the word. Father, you are holy and you are righteous. And we don't deserve the grace that you pour into us. And I pray that we will be appreciative of that today. Pray that you will give us open ears, open minds, and open hearts. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so last week, Pastor Jeremy gave us a little bit of a a preview of what his vision is for this church coming this fall. And he used three R words. I don't know if everybody remembers it. We're going to reunite. We're going to re-engage. And we're going to reach out. And in my head, I'm a very tactile person. So in my head, it was reunite, re-engage, reach out. Okay? So this message today is not going to be about that directly. But it's basically what I'm trying to do is help us to think about what God says about his church. So that that gives a kind of framework theologically and in our hearts. So that when we think about reuniting, re-engaging, and reaching out that it makes sense to us and it energizes our heart in that direction. So what I want to do this morning is I want to take a little bit of time and look at what God says about his church. Now, this typically what I like to do when I preach and what most evangelical preachers like to do is we like to focus on one text. We like to focus on that one text and then we dig in and we give you the context and then we go through that text and give you kind of line by line, verse by verse. Today, I'm going to do what I would call more theological exposition, and that's I'm going to take you to several different verses along the way. I'm not going to be able to do the in-detail contextual development that I'd like to do normally. I'll touch it. 
Um, but I'm not going to be able to hit every single verse of the passage that we're looking at because we're focused on what the Bible says about the church. And in particular, I want us to think about the fact that the church is not a building. Right? The church is not a building. When we talk about, oh, I'm going to go down to the church, we use that in the sense of, oh, we're going to go to the church building and maybe meet somebody. Uh, or month, maybe somebody will say, oh, I attend church, right? We think about coming together in a building or I'm part of the church, might be a large denomination that claims to be the church, right? If you're a member of that. So we use the term church in a lot of different ways. And what, sadly, what we tend to do in our minds is we tend to think about it as this building around us, okay? But that's not the case. The Bible talks about the church in several different ways in the Bible, uh, in the New Testament, and he gives us a couple different pictures, okay? So I want to look at several passages that deal with what is the church and help us think and prepare our hearts for reuniting, reengaging, and reaching out. So let's start, if you will, with me in Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16, the verses that we're going to look at, you could spend probably 10 weeks on a message service, excuse me, series, just dealing with Matthew, Matthew chapter 16, 17, and 18. Uh, to give you just a little bit of context, the book of Matthew, Jesus has been doing miracles, he's been teaching, he's taught the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew, he's taught the mysteries of the kingdom. And we come to a point where he asks the disciples, who do they say that I am and who do you say that I am? And Peter makes the famous confession. So this is a passage where Peter confesses. And from this point on in the book of Matthew, Jesus is going to now get ready. He's headed to Jerusalem and get ready to die as a sacrifice for sin. So it's a very pivotal point. Again, I wish we could spend a lot of time on it. We're going to focus on one phrase of it. But just let me read you kind of the broader context before I read the the verse in particular. So in verse 13 of chapter 16. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He, that is Jesus here, said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. So there's a lot there, but I want to focus on the phrase, I will build my church. I will build my church. Who's saying that right now? In that context, who's saying those words? It's Jesus. So Jesus says, I, Jesus, will build whose church? Jesus' church. I'm starting to get ahead of myself. I wanted to define the word church there before I come back to focus on it's Jesus's church. First thing, the term church, and some of you really like this, so the church, term church in English comes from the Greek term ekklesia, and that's where we get the word in modern language, you hear the term ecclesiastical, like pertaining to the church. That's, that's the exact 
word that that comes from, ecclesia. And it's, it's literally translated assembly. The church is not a building. One of the way the Bible talks about the church is as an assembly. We are assembled here together today. An assembly is a group of people who come together for a purpose. Now the term has its roots all the way back in the Old Testament. Even in the Old Testament, after Israel comes back from the captivity, when they're rebuilding Jerusalem and the walls, what happens is Ezra speaks to all of the people who have returned and they are called an assembly. So we are this assembly. We're not a building. We are a group of people who come together and assemble in service to God. Now we're going to expand that out a little bit more. But for this passage, what I really want to focus on is I will build my church. It's very tempting for me It's very tempting for all of us to think about this as my church. Because it's yours in a way. Right? It is. If you're a part of this church, it's your church. But is it? Because we get in trouble when we start to think this is my church. I get in trouble when I start to think this is my church. My agenda. My way. Of course we should do it my way. I'm right. Right? And we all think that. We all think that. But whose is it? It's Jesus' church. It's not my church. It's not your church. It is. Small I. Small my. But ultimately this is a church that Jesus is building. It's Jesus' church. And we need to humble ourselves as we move through life and do church together. Because ultimately, this is not my church, it's not your church, it's God's church. Now, let me focus on another phrase in there. He says this, I will build my church. Statistically speaking, the church in America is in decline. Fact, true, right? We've heard it, we hear it all the time. Is that theologically true, though? Is the church declining? Or is Christ building his church? Statistically, maybe there's a lot of churches that aren't really churches. Fair? Statistically, maybe America's not the center of God's universe. Fair? All right, look, don't... Don't run wild with that. Don't guess what I'm trying to say with that, okay? That was just a very true statement. Take it as you wish, but it's true. We're not the center of God's universe. Do you know the church is growing all over the world, including in Iran right now? God is building his church. Now, it's fascinating to me that we tend to think of God is building his church or he's not based on our little microcosm of our church, right? Do we want the church to grow here in Midland? Absolutely. We want to grow. We want to grow in health. We want to be a healthy church so that we can reach out to others. So we want to be a church united and engaged so we can reach out. And I just dropped my glasses. 
We want to be a healthy church first, and God will give the growth because God's the one who's building his church. Look, we could build this church by making it a country club, right? We could make, we could make this free gifts for people. We could sell a false gospel and make it really easy for people to come here. That's not what we want to do. We want to be a biblical church, a healthy church that God grows. Amen? And when we do that, and let me tell you what it's going to take. What it's going to take for us to do that is, for God to do that, excuse me, is for us. There's got to be a critical mass of people who are united, who are engaged, and who are reaching out. It's not about finding structure from the past. And here I'm in danger of stepping on some toes. I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings. We are not going to become a healthy, growing church by looking back to the past and trying to recreate some structure that was there. Because that's not why this, God built this church in the past. The number of pastors that we had in the past, the, exactly what the structure of the staff looked like, had nothing to do with why God built this church. The reason why God built this church in his divine plan was because he was able to get people in this community who were engaged, who were united, and were reaching out. And there was a critical mass of people. And if we want to recapture that, which we do, it's going to take us uniting, engaging, and reaching out. And let's be a part of that critical mass. Let's you be a part of that critical mass. Let's me be a part of that critical mass. And this is where I'm going to really step on some toes. And I don't say this out of meanness. I don't say this out of anything but love in my heart as someone who's been in charge with shepherding you. And that's this, okay? Um, Got to be careful how I say this, okay? Um, when I am disengaged from church, I tend to say the words, we should do this. You catch that? I said it on me first because I can be as guilty as this. When I am disengaged from church, I tend to say, hey, we ought to do this. Now let me flip it. And now I'm really going to hurt some feelings, okay? You ready for this? Put your seatbelts on. When people are disengaged, they tend to volunteer other people to do things. Right? Here am I, Lord. Send him. I'm so glad you received that well because I was worried about people stoning me. But that's the truth, isn't it? And I, and I include myself in this. When I have an agenda, when I have something, I'm more than happy to volunteer everybody else to do it. So here's the question that we all should do. And we should all desire to be a part and to give good ideas to this church. We welcome those as elders. We absolutely welcome those ideas. But if God has placed an idea on your heart, it probably means that that idea that he's placed in your heart is something that you need to do more than just tell somebody else to do it. That God wants you to be involved with that. If you see the need in an area and you say, oh, send them, maybe that's God's way of saying, no, 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 that's me trying to send you. So here's the funny part, right? The the text says, I will build my church. And the people who most believe that God is building his church are the most active in building church. So we get this weird privilege of, God building the church, but he lets us participate in that. Does God need you to build his church? No, he doesn't. And yet, 
when you believe that, when you believe that God is building his church, it creates this amazing thing in you where you want to participate with that because it's exciting to be a part of something God is doing. But it's God who's building his church. And if we ever lose sight of that, we are in trouble. Because this is not Dave will build Dave's church. It's not you will build your church. It's Jesus says, I will build my church. And that is not a wishful thinking statement. It's a fact. He is building his church. He is building his church. So let's think about, I've already stepped on some toes. Let me, let's think about some applications, if you will. First and foremost, are you a part of Christ's church? For some of you here today, you may go, I don't get this church thing, okay? Here are all these people voluntarily coming, giving of their time, giving of their resources, and I don't get it. That's because you don't know Jesus yet. And if you don't know Jesus, we would plead with you today to come to Christ. Here's the message in a thumbnail, and I don't have time because of time constraints to go into it too much more, but Jesus died for your sins because you're a sinner. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, we're all sinners. Jesus died for you to, to pay the penalty to God for that sin. And he offers you free salvation if you will just accept it. And if that's something that you have not experienced, we would plead with you to consider that and, and do that even now as you sit. Or feel free to come talk to any of us who are standing up front after the service. So application number one, are you a part of the church? And if you do that, then you'll understand why there's so much commitment to this thing called church. We are so grateful for what Jesus has done for us through grace, something we didn't deserve, that we can't help but serve him. We have no choice. It's just what we do. Next question, do we trust our savior to build his church? Do we trust him to do that? This church has gone through some discouragement in a number of years, right? Are you confident that God can continue to build this church? Are you? We have to be. Why? I will build my church, says Jesus. Jesus will build his church. Here's another one. Do we trust it enough to do a church, uh, the church God's way? Uh, third question. Are we committed to Christ's church? So here's the reality, brothers and sisters. God calls us to be committed to his church. God calls us to be committed to his church, right? So we've been through some really strange things with COVID, okay? Um, the next point I'm gonna make is to say, to all of you who aren't here, who are watching online, if there's any reason, if there's, if, if there's any reason that you can't come back because of comorbidities or anything like that, we want you to come back in person if, unless you have those kinds of legitimate conditions that keep you from coming, okay? Because church is done by rubbing shoulders with people. We're gonna see that in the text coming. But are you committed to coming and reuniting. And that's part of our push this summer into the fall is we want you to come back. Now, this is not meant to offend anybody who can't be here. If you're a shut-in, if you have comorbidities and so you're a little bit worried about coming back uh, too early, if, if you can say before the Lord that that's the reason for not coming, 
great. You stay away as long as you need to. You watch streaming as long as you need to. However, if this has just become a convenience thing, if this has just become a way of not having to right, rub shoulders with people, oh, it's so nice because I can just watch service and feel like I've been a part of a service. That's not church, folks. Church is the body interacting with each other, which is going to be our next point. And then, last question before we move on to Ephesians. Are we committed to helping build God's church? This is that strange seeming contradiction that I pointed out. When we are committed to God building his church, we are more energized and we are more active. Okay? We'll, we'll look some more at that, so I'm not going to say too much more. I'll just kind of pump, prime the pump for, for after we look at Ephesians. But remember, we're reuniting, we're re-engaging so that we can reach out. Okay? All right. Boy, take a little breather here. Let's turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I bookmarked it. I don't need to flip. There we go. So let's talk a little bit of context for Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 obviously comes right after Ephesians chapter 3, which comes before Ephesians chapter 2, which comes. Okay, so the book of Ephesians kind of breaks in half. The first half, Paul is dealing with talking and talking to a church that's disunited. There's a lot of disunity in this church, particularly along racial lines. Now, it's not black-white in this context or right, white and people of color, however you want to frame that. It's not. It's Jew-Gentile in that case. Okay? But the parallels are there, so that's something that we might want to keep in mind. But he says to that church, you are now one body. So that's the second metaphor that he uses about the church. We are a body. So Jew, Gentile coming together. And Gentile is this category for everybody else, right? So in the, in the biblical categories, there's Jews, there's Gentiles, and there's no other humans. So everybody, whatever race, whatever color, right? You come together, you're a part of this body. So, but he says that in the context of God saving you. And so in chapter 4, he transitions to what's kind of typical of what Paul does. He talks about a lot of doctrinal things in the beginning. And then he adds doctrine in the second half, but it's more applicationally oriented doctrine. So we are in a section where he's going to apply this. And what we're going to see in this section is the church is one body. Okay? It's a unified body. Now, I don't have time, again, I keep saying this, I don't have time to go in detail. I'd love to do it. But we're going to kind of do some kind of flyover to see the broad range. And then we'll hit a couple of verses in particular. So in the first section, he's going to say, look, chapter 3, this is God's salvation. Chapter 4, this is how you live it out. Live it out in unity, right? So therefore, chapter 4, verse 1, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Oh, there it is. The unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Now, I want you to just note, as I read the next section, just how many times he emphasizes unity. He's just going to use one word. He's going to emphasize unity over and over again. Verse 4. There is one body. There is one spirit. Just as also you were called in one hope 
of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over, uh, who is Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Do you catch that? Do you think we're supposed to be one? Now that's not easy because we're all quirky. That's another saying, I'm sinful. And sometimes I do things that annoy you, right? And sometimes I need to apologize for things that I do, right? So multiply out the, that to however many people are in our church and that's a formula for disaster. It's a formula for disaster unless you're willing to work for peace and work for unity. And that's what he says he, he wants us to do. Then verses seven through 10 is a fairly confusing section. I would love to do just one message on that. Again, no time for that. But basically, here's the summary of it. In the ancient Near East, when you were to go off to war as a king was supposed to do in the spring, they would capture and they would bring back, right, spoils of war, and they would distribute gifts. So kings distributed gifts after they won a war. So Jesus says, basically Paul says, Jesus, when he died and descended, he won a war, he brings back, and he gives out gifts, because that's what good kings do. Okay, so what are these gifts? Well, this is where it becomes really interesting and particularly good for us. So verse 8, he said, He who descended is himself also, he who ascended far above all things, so that he might fill in all things. And verse 11, he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastor teachers. Okay, so notice I said apostles, prophets, pastor teachers. Pastor and teacher there belong together. It's a grammatical structure. I won't bore you with the details. Okay, but it's not pastor and teacher separate. It's pastor teacher which is why we think of our preaching pastors as teachers, right? Anyway, but what's the purpose? So don't answer this. I don't want to embarrass yourself. But isn't it true that we hire a pastor so they can do the ministry? Be careful how you answer that in your head. Is that right? That sounds right? It's wrong, isn't it? What's the text say? Why do we hire pastors? We hire pastors. In the next verse it says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. You see why I didn't have you answer out loud? We don't hire pastors to do the ministry. We hire pastors to help us do ministry. You see what we mean by engage now? Many a church has burned out a pastor because they expect them to do the work of ministry. We pay, you do ministry, we have an easy life. I go home and just watch TV the rest of the time. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The scriptures teach us that we have pastors who teach and equip the saints for the work of ministry. Do you ever hear the 80-20 principle? 80% of the work is done by how many percent of the people? That's generally true. That's why it's a principle, right? That's not the church, folks. It might be the church, but that's not what the church is supposed to do. If you want to be a part of, of bringing back the excitement that you once felt in this church, for those of you who've been here for a long time, 
If you want to see God building his church, we need to flip that principle and say that 100% of the work is done by 80 to 100% of the people. Now, do the pastors do ministry? Of course. Of course they do ministry. So here's, I'm a coach. You've got to forgive me some coaching metaphors here. Okay? I think of the pastor teachers as player coaches. So I coach volleyball, which is an unusual sport for a guy to coach. Um, so, but I started playing when I was in college. We didn't have an intercollegiate team, so we had to start a club team. So we started a club team, and lo and behold, I go, don't have a choice. We don't have a coach, so I become a player coach. And that's how I started coaching, and that's how I make a living now. But that's how it, that's how it happened. But so as a player coach, not only did I have to instruct others on how to do it, but I also did it myself. But I couldn't do either one so much that I burnt myself out and made myself useless. I was a horrible player coach, by the way. Um, I learned a lot. And hopefully I got a little bit better at coaching. I better have, right? Since I do it for a living. Did you catch that, though? So here's the thing, okay? Go back to that big time I stepped on your toes about if, if you want to say the words, let's do this, then be a part of that 80% who are doing 100% of the ministry. Now, this is, this is a really important point. This, don't, don't take this in a legalistic sense, though, because here's the thing. Like, there are times in your life where you're gonna have to step back and go, I need a little bit of a break from doing this ministry right now. Okay? And it's possible that you do too much ministry so that you lose your family. Right? So this, don't, don't take this principle of, that I'm talking about in a very legalistic sense. If you have been faithfully serving the Lord, if you have been uh, actively doing ministry, and let's say you have a family member that needs help because they have a stroke, something like that. Very particular illustration there. I'm not sure why I picked that one. But don't be afraid to just go, I need a little bit of time off. There's nothing, we're not saying this in at all in a legalistic sense. But if you are just walking through life and you're coming to church and you're a part of this church and you're not engaged in something, God calls you to do more. Okay? And maybe it's just, look, I'm gonna volunteer every week to sweep. That could be the ministry that you have. Or maybe it's like, I'm gonna jump in and be a part of a small church. Or maybe it's gonna be, I'm gonna try and, and really stretch myself and do something I've never done before and become an assistant leader of a life group. There's something for you to engage in and for us to move forward as a church the way the Jeremy is trying to lead us is we've got to engage, okay? We can reunite and that's good, but we got to engage. We got to engage so that we can reach out. I find it fascinating that the whole point of doing service to one another is actually building up the body, right? Verse 13, until, well, he gives, sorry, verse 12 for context. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to a measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. Look at verse 14 though. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. 
So this speaking in this verse, verse uh, 15, who's that? That's not, that's not the pastor teacher. Who's doing the speaking there? It's us. It's all of us. So we are supposed to be speaking to one another, encouraging one another, building one another up, and we can't do that in absentia. We can't do that without being in person and together and engaged. Last thing, last thing before we hit um, application for Ephesians uh, 4 and 5. I want to focus on one thing. Um, I can't tell you, those of you involved in worship, how much we appreciate what you do. Um, And I'm I'm good with that. I'm good with that. Okay. Um, I kind of got, I got to peek behind the, I got to peek behind the door because I came in early to get the mic on and everything. And I'm like an old analog guy, so this is all new. But I'm, I was watching these guys rehearse and do the technology. You have a group of people who are so committed that they take a lot of their own personal time and sacrifice it so that we can have great worship together. But I want you to know something, okay? I want you to know something. According to Ephesians and Colossians, okay, we, we tend to think about, well, let me finish this sentence and I'll go back. Accord, uh, we tend to think about worship as us speaking to God, right? Because that's part of it, right? You know, what the, you know what the text says? The text actually says that we are speaking to one another when we worship God. <clears throat> Look at Ephesians 5, 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Verse 19, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody. Colossians, and if you could pull Colossians 3 up, if you don't mind, so we don't have to turn there. 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. In psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That's interesting, isn't it? So when we sing and when we worship, this is not just us speaking to God. There is something spiritually, um, yeah, there's something deeply spiritual and miraculous about what God does when we sing together. You can't speak or sing to one another in absentia. Again, don't take that in a legalistic way, but we need to be together. Because when I'm sitting down there, and generally over here, right, the side that always has to pick up the chairs, (laughs) right? When I sit over here, or I'm standing and I'm singing, I'm actually ministering to you. And when you're over here and you're singing, you're actually ministering to me. Why? Because we're singing and admonishing and teaching one another. That can't be done without being in person. Now, I, I, want, to, um, I, I want to actually do something that's gonna sound like I'm contradicting myself, but it's because I actually don't want some people to take a verse out of context that's often used to try to make people feel guilty for not being at every church service. Okay, so... I'm not contradicting myself. I'm just balancing this off so that we're not legalists, okay? So probably many of you have heard someone say, you weren't at last service, 
oh, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Right? And that's fair because it's in the Bible. But we need to understand what that actually means in context. What that doesn't mean, this doesn't mean that you need to feel guilty if you have to miss a service because you are sick or you are caring for someone who's sick in your family or you're on vacation. Right? This, this verse, which we'll read here in a second in Hebrews, does not mean that. Okay? Hebrews 10.25 says this. Not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Did you catch that? So, and again, growing up, this was like the club, right? I was expected to be in church Sunday. It wasn't just Sunday morning. Don't you remember? Remember when we had Sunday nights? Remember we had Wednesday nights? And if you weren't there, you weren't spiritual, because that was a club, okay? This verse was a club. Well, first of all, the term forsake. Another word that might be is abandon, right? So missing one service is not abandoning us. Is that fair? So how do I know if I'm abandoning or forsaking or not? Well, I think you know, right? You know. So if you're here today, and this is like the first time in five years, and you're coming back, great. Right, But if, if you're here and you're thinking, I'm never going to come back to church again, ah, that's forsaking. Okay? But then again, I think most of us know what that means, right? So the only reason I said that is because I don't want us to be a church that is so legalistic that we have no grace for people who legitimately are missing a service. Right? We don't want to serve God out of obligation. We want to do it out of love, a heart that appreciates God's grace. We also want to be the kind of people that are not so stuck on tradition that we can't actually serve people. All right, now I got to go back and apply Ephesians. Sorry, sorry for those technicians in the back. I've, I've got to go back to the application on Ephesians 4. So here's my question. And, and again, those of you who are watching on streaming, we're glad that you're able to stream. Uh, we're not trying to beat you over the head and be legalistic about this. But if there's any way you can come back, we want you back. We would love to see you here so you can engage with us so that we can be united together, rub shoulders, talk, greet each other, encourage each other, speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs so that we can engage. And when we can engage, that's going to create a critical mass of incredible excitement about what we're doing. And that's what God's going to use to help us reach out to this community. So are you ready to come back? We'd love to have you. Are we committed to being the church? Are we committed to being the church? Are we committed to doing more than just sitting in on a weekly service? Are we committed to connecting with those we see and meet at church? I'm, I cannot tell you how I long to get back to the time when we can have a little greeting time. Right Now, there was good reason not to. I guess that's fair, right? That's fair. Uh, but I'm looking forward to to shaking hands and high-fiving or whatever it is that's how you greet each other? Are we committed to connecting with those that we see and meet in church? Or do we just come in, sit down, listen, and leave? Are we committed to meeting the needs of those around us? Um, when I first moved here, I, ho I hope I don't cry. I'm getting really emotional about this. I see a friend here. Sorry, I'm not trying to embarrass you. But when I first moved to this church, I, 
I see someone over there, and I actually see someone over here from the small group. I joined the small group, and I was by myself for six months while my family finished up down in Tennessee, and they became a kind of secondary family to me and were gracious and kind and really poured into my life in many really neat ways and were an encouragement to me. Are you, are you ready to do that again? Are we ready to do that again? I hope we are. Are we engaging in worship as speaking to one another as we sing and praise the Lord? And for those of you who have just been attending, are you ready to become a member? Right? Not in a legalistic sense, but becoming a member is kind of, you know, when you say, yeah, yeah, we're going to get married someday. Right? <laughs> yeah, five years later. Yeah, maybe we'll get married someday. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and this is not 100% parallel, but becoming a member is kind of like showing your commitment, right? And we would welcome you becoming a member. And then the last reminder, when I find, and I'm gonna say this in terms of me, because this is important. When I find myself saying, we need to do this, let's make sure, I'm gonna make sure that I'm saying, maybe that's God calling me to do it and not just allowing other people to do the work of ministry here. There's a lot of nostalgia, rightfully so in this church. There's a lot of nostalgia, right? But that can be dangerous because what we can do is we look back to the past. I don't remember, like, I don't remember the time I got beat up in high school, right? Maybe we say, oh, high school was great. Some people say that, right? Yeah, you remember the time you got the wedgie? Yeah, that wasn't very fun. Well, I don't remember that when I think now, right? So there's, there's always pictures of the past that aren't as... Right? Our memory of it isn't the same. God wants us to move forward. God is moving this church forward. And the way we're going to do it is we're going to have a critical mass of people who reunite, who re-engage, and who reach out. Let's pray. Father, help us to submit to you. I pray that you will have challenged my heart through this and you will challenge all of our hearts. Lord, we have an incredible church of people who are committed and help us to know how you want us to move forward this fall. Pray this in Jesus' name.